from the new media project at the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, MRSA keratitis after refractive surgery. This infection uh, is certainly increasing and will continue to increase uh, over the coming years and will probably become the most significant source of infections after refractive surgeries. First this, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Donenfeld declares consulting fees and non-CME fees from Allergan, Alcon, AMO, and Bausch & Lomb. As seen from here, the first podcast for physicians, the first podcast to offer CME credit, and the first to offer multinational editions, is now co-sponsored by the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. The ASCRS recognizes the power of this new medium in communication and education of physicians everywhere. This partnership will allow us to bring new content to you and add new voices to our community. From Manhattan to Mumbai, from the Bay Area to Beijing, one conversation as seen from here. MRSA, or methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, is a polyantibiotic-resistant bacteria largely seen in healthcare workers and hospital inpatients. Fortunately, MRSA is rarely encountered in refractive surgery, but there is a lot of space between rarely encountered and never encountered. Eric Donenfeld has documented a number of these cases and recently published his findings in the American Journal of Ophthalmology. It's my pleasure to welcome Eric as my guest today. How common is infectious keratitis in eczema refractive surgery? There have been a variety of studies that have looked at the incidence of infection following LASIK and PRK. Uh, the Ascris Corneal Clinical Committee uh, wrote a paper that was published in 2003 that showed that of doctors who had infections, the risk was 1 in 2,900. And then that was followed up by a second report in 2005 that said the incidence was actually increasing and had increased to 1 in 2,100. That's for LASIK. For PRK, the accepted risk is that the risk is approximately five times greater, so that the risk of an infection in PRK is about 1 in 400 to 1 in 500. What are the most common pathogens that we see in these infections? Well, before the, the advent of the fourth-generation fluoroquinolones, uh, which are Zymar and Vigamox, the most common organism was atypical mycobacteria that was seen in about 60% of infections. Um, the second most common organism was staphylococcal species. Subsequent to the development of the fourth-generation fluoroquinolones, the incidence of atypical mycobacteria has really dramatically decreased. And now uh, staph species are responsible for two-thirds of all the infections that we see after PRK and LASIK, uh, followed by strep, and atypical mycobacteria has dropped down to less than 10%. What is the source of these bacteria? Are they mostly skin flora? Uh, no one has actually done uh, bacterial genetic typing like we did for endophthalmitis. 
Uh, so we don't know exactly where the organisms come from, but it's generally considered uh, from the patient's own skin floor with the lids being the most likely source of organisms. The exception to that rule is atypical mycobacteria, which is generally accepted to be due to contaminated water uh, or non-sterile water that's used during the LASIK procedure. What is the typical presentation of someone with an infectious keratitis after this sort of procedure? Well, um, infectious keratitis after LASIK and PRK uh, generally presents in a bimodal distribution with the most common uh, presentation being in the first week, generally two to four days after surgery for gram-positive organisms. Uh, but for the atypical and opportunistic infections, uh, these infections occur anywhere between two weeks and three months after the surgery. So that early uh, infectious keratitis is going to be gram-positive with staph and strep being the most likely organisms, and the later organisms that occur uh, two weeks to three months after surgery are going to be opportunistic infections like atypical mycobacteria uh, uh, and fungi. Uh, Nocardia being probably the third most common organism. Uh, these infections present as inflammation, and there's generally very little pain associated with them because they occur in the lamellar interface, so there's very little innervation at, at that point. So patients will generally complain of a generalized clouding of vision. They may have a little bit of photophobia early on, and they'll present complaining of loss of crispness of vision. The, clinicians, the clinician will see interface debris that can be indistinguishable from uh, diffuse intralamellar keratitis. And uh, the only differentiating point will be the, loca the location of a focal point of inflammation. So that focal inflammation is, um, should be considered infectious until proven otherwise. So anytime you look at a patient who's had the LASIK or PRK who has inflammation in the interface, you have to be concerned about the, about the finding of a focal area of inflammation. What is MRSA and who is at risk for MRSA colonization? Well, MRSA is methicillin-resistant staph aureus. Uh, the real technical definition is oxicillin-resistant staph aureus, but also... Uh, MRSE or methicillin-resistant staph epidermis is also probably equally common. And these are organisms that don't respond to conventional antibiotics uh, with penicillin or methicillin being the one that they don't respond to. Unfortunately, most patients who have methicillin-resistant staph species also uh, are resistant to the fourth-generation fluoroquinolones. So the fourth-generation fluoroquinolones do not do nearly as good a job against MRSA as they do against other organisms. And resistance to third-generation fluoroquinolones is even more common. Is even worse. Yeah, so resistance to the third-generation fluoroquinolones, ofloxacin, uh, ciprofloxacin, and levofloxacin, is even greater, and uh, resistance to the aminoglycosides, tobamycin and gentamicin, is you know extraordinary. There's almost no um, susceptibility to the aminoglycosides. So the fourth generation fluoroquinolones are the best that we have of the conventional antibiotics that we use, but they uh, very often will not be sufficient to treat an MRSA or M MRSE infection. 
Who is at risk for MRSA colonization? Patients are at greatest risk for uh, colonization with MRSA and MRSE are patients who live in a live or work in a healthcare environment where opportunistic infections are more, in com- or more common. So uh, patients who live in nursing homes or work in nursing homes, hospitals, uh, including physicians, nurses, janitors, are at much greater risk of infection uh, with a uh, opportunistic um, staff species as compared to the general population. But having said that, the general population is showing more and more uh, risk of developing community-based methicillin-resistant uh, staph aureus and staph epidermidis. So that, that was almost unheard of five years ago. Now it's assumed in general medical studies that approximately 2 to 5% of the general population who are not considered at, at increased risk may be colonized uh, with uh, methicillin-resistant species. Prior to your study, what did we know about MRSA keratitis and refractive surgery? Well, it's been a uh, MRSA has been a uh, rare but but well-reported source of infection uh, following refractive surgery, and there have been many case reports and small studies that have documented cases of this infection. But this infection uh, is certainly increasing and will continue to increase uh, over the coming years, and it will probably become the most significant source of infections after refractive surgery. So that um, my prediction is that over the next several years, this will be the greatest concern uh, to refractive surgeons is the development of resistant species that don't respond to today's conventional antibiotics. Is the presentation of MRSA keratitis different from the presentation of other bacterial keratitides? Well, the, the presentation is generally very similar with the you know, the outstanding difference is, is that, that, that many times patients who develop infections after LASIK or PRK um, have in common the fact that they haven't been taking their antibiotics uh, prophylactically. Uh, with methicillin-resistant species, they can be taking their antibiotics as uh, designed and they can still have a uh, develop an infection. So anytime you see a rapidly developing infection after refractive surgery, in the face of the fact that the patient has been taking their, their antibiotics as designed, uh, that patient should be considered to be at risk of MRSA or MRSC until proven otherwise. Eric, can I have you describe the design of your study? Well, our, our study was a uh, retrospective uh, case analysis of uh, methicillin-resistant infections uh, in refractive practices uh, in patients who had a background in, uh, of it being corneal specialists. So they were referral corneal specialists who also did refractive surgery, and we asked them to review their records uh, of uh, methicillin-resistant staph aureus and staph epidermidis. Can you tell me something about the patients who participated in this study, what their occupations are, uh, anything else that made them special? Well, there were 13 eyes of 12 patients, and nine of them were healthcare workers. So 75% of the patients either worked or were exposed to a hospital environment uh, prior to the development of, of their surgery. Um, 
that was the one common denominator that these patients had. Uh, what was truly frightening about this was a number of physicians who uh, were in our study, and probably the greatest risk factor for developing uh, a methicillin-resistant staphylococcus uh, infection was being a healthcare worker, and I think that's a very significant take-home message for surgeons performing refractive surgery is to be aware that we are the ones at greatest risk for developing these infections because we are most likely colonized with resistant organisms. And even some of the patients who are not healthcare workers themselves, uh, one one you mentioned uh, was was married to a to a healthcare is married to a to a healthcare worker. Um, one was discharged after a a a hospital stay prior to LASIK surgery too. So the, they, they were for the most part people who, if they themselves weren't, weren't healthcare workers, were at least in recent contact with, with the healthcare system. That's a very good point, Josh. The patients who uh, presented either were healthcare workers or were living with healthcare workers, and, and that puts patients at risk as well. So that um, uh, there's an added risk to living or being exposed to someone who works in a healthcare environment. And you should remember that when uh, talking to patients uh, who are prospective refractive surgery candidates is to ask them about the occupation, uh, where they live, and what their spouses do because you know, the spouse puts them at risk as well. What sort of medications do these patients get perioperatively? Well, the majority of the patients were given prophylactic antibiotics with uh, fluoroquinolones, but there were several patients who received aminoglycosides as well. Um, of note, one patient developed a bilateral infectious keratitis following PRK, and that patient uh, was a medical resident uh, who um, uh, presented with a very uh, aggressive uh, infectious keratitis uh, two days after their PRK despite the use of an aminoglycoside in both eyes and, and, and it really speaks to the issue that the aminoglycosides really have very little activity against uh, medicine resistant organisms while uh, the fluoroquinolones may not be uh, the best antibiotics. They certainly are far superior to the previous generation fluoroquinolones or the aminoglycosides and I would suggests that if you're doing refractive surgery, the fluoroquinolones fluoroquinol really are superior at preventing infection. Did most of the patients present that quickly in their post-operative courses? Well, the you know, patients you know, presented uh, as long as weeks after surgery, and uh, sometimes these patients can have smoldering infections that uh, don't present in the early post-operative period and can be confused for inflammatory sterile infections like sterile inflammations like DLK. So that, uh, again, the, the surgeon needs to be vigilant to the um, risk that patients don't present always in the first couple of days after refractive surgery with infections and can be even, even several weeks following their surgery. Were there common features to the appearance of the patients on slit lamp exam? Well, all patients presented with a decrease in visual acuity and complaints of pain or irritation in, in the affected eye. Um, on slit lamp uh, biomic biomicroscopy, there were 
very commonly coronal epithelial defects, uh, but focal infiltrates with surrounding edema and um, uh, interface inflammation in patients who had LASIK uh, were, were very strong findings that this was an infectious keratitis. Um, Conjunctival injection was seen. Uh, purulent discharge and hypopian were also seen, but these were very late findings. Uh, so the, the severe pain and photophobia uh, and purulent discharge, that's usually the hallmark of corneal ulcers that is seen in patients uh, with contact lens wear, for example, were very late findings in LASIK. They can be seen early on in PRK because the infection is on the surface, but in LASIK, the cardinal signs of, of infectious keratitis occur really very late, and patients can be surprisingly comfortable after infectious keratitis in LASIK because the infection is really taking place in a uh, denervized area where the patient's coronal sensation is markedly decreased. What therapy was instituted, both in terms of medical therapy and ultimately in terms of surgical therapy? Um, patients were generally treated with fortified antibiotics. Uh, there was a variety of therapy, though, that the patients received. Uh, the ideal therapy was the uh, very rapid and uh, aggressive treatment with uh, vancomycin, which still remains the uh, hallmark for therapy for methicillin-resistant infections. And I would suggest that any patient who presents with early-onset infection while on, an, while on a fluoroquinolone should be considered to have methicillin-resistance uh, until proven otherwise and should be started aggressively on vancomycin. And the concentration of vancomycin can vary anywhere between 25 and 15 milligrams per ml, and we've been advocating 35 milligrams per ml as a... Uh, uh, as a reasonable dosage. Uh, infections uh, early on were, were very commonly treated with cefazolin, which is generally considered a very good antibiotic against gram-positive organisms, but it's not nearly as effective against uh, methicillin-resistant organisms. Were all of the refractive surgeries bilateral? I th yeah, I think all of, the, all of the patients underwent bilateral refractive surgery, and in our uh, case study, one patient developed a bilateral infectious keratitis following PRK. All, all the other cases were unilateral presentation of infection. You told us that healthcare workers and the people living with healthcare workers uh, are at greater risk for this pathology, but some of the patients from your study had absolutely no contact with the healthcare system. How do you explain this? Well, you know, what, what we're seeing now is an increased incidence of community-acquired methicillin-resistant staph aureus, which um, is really a very scary prospect that the um, incidence of MRSA has spread out of the hospitals and is now being seen in the uh, general environment, and that this may be an organism that all patients may be at risk for, so that uh, the clinician needs to be vigilant to the fact that MRSA may be something that can be seen in patients who are not considered at risk of, of this infection and that the average patient coming in um, with an infection early on following LASIK or PRK should be considered to have MRSA until proven otherwise, whereas several years ago we just never saw this. You never saw community-acquired MRSA coronal infections. Uh, this is a new change in the... Uh, medical environment, 
and is a trend which will most likely continue to worsen over the next several years so that surgeons need to be aware that this is an organism that's out there in the community and we need to be uh, cognizant of that when we treat our patients. In terms of the demographic shift going on with uh, MRSA colonization, uh, how, how old is MRSA? What did MRSA first crop up? Well, MRSA has been around for several decades. Uh, the earliest cases of medicine-resistant staphylitis were really seen a year or two uh, after the development of methicillin and were presented originally in the European literature. Uh, uh, the earliest cases of ophthalmic uh, MRSA uh, were really several years later. But uh, this, these are infections that have been around for a long, long time, but have just recently become um, much more common. You mentioned that fourth-generation fluoroquinolones are more effective against MRSA than third-generation fluoroquinolones are. But are fourth-generation fluoroquinolones an effective way to treat MRSA? No. Um, for prophylaxis against infectious keratitis, uh, the fourth-generation fluoroquinolones are the, uh, the best broad-spectrum therapy that we have, uh, but uh, they don't provide uh, terrific coverage against MRSA uh, or MRSE. And as a matter of fact, probably the best microbiology lab in ophthalmology in the country is at the University of Pittsburgh. And what they found was that methicillin um, uh, resistant staph aureus was seen in 34% of the keratitis presenting between 1993 and 2005. And fluoroquinolone-resistant staph aureus was seen in 26% of cases so that most of the patients uh, who had methicillin resistance also had fluoroquinolone resistance. Uh, occasionally, you will see patients, actually it's occasionally, maybe in about half of the time, patients who are uh, presenting with methicillin resistance who are treated with fluoroquinolones will respond. And the reason they respond is that we're giving them overwhelming doses. We're giving them concentrations that are 100 times greater and that can be achieved with systemic antibiotics. So we can overwhelm the organism by increasing the concentration with topical dosing. But even with that high dosing, achieving concentrations in the cornea of 40 and 50 micrograms per ml, some patients will not respond. Some patients also may be responding to the preservative, which is contained in some fluoroquinolones, like BAK, which may increase the, the penetration and may uh, work directly against resistant organisms by destabilizing cell membranes. What do you do in your own practice when a patient presents with what looks like infectious keratitis? And does the post-op day of presentation affect your management? Uh, it is very important that the clinician understand that infectious keratitis can present as late as months following the procedure, it's frequently misdiagnosed at the initial presentation, and this can result in significant vision loss. It's also very important for clinicians to realize that they should not use empiric therapy, as most of the organisms that cause infections after refractive surgery are opportunistic uh, or methicillin-resistant staph aureus infections and are not going to respond to conventional therapy, so that just treating the patient with more antibiotic is not the answer. A high degree of suspicion uh, should be uh, on the clinician's mind, 
and that flaps should be elevated and the infection should be cultured on any patient presenting with infectious keratitis following LASIK or surface ablation because these infections are generally going to be resistant to the antibiotic that they're currently on. Um, so I would say that the clinician needs to be aware of the risk. They need to um, culture aggressively and then treat with appropriate antibiotic uh, early in the course. And the appropriate anti antibiotics postoperatively are a combination of vancomycin for gram-positive coverage and a fluoroquinolone for gram-negative and atypical mycobacteria coverage. Um, the Ascaris Corneal Committee uh, published a paper two years ago, uh, which was a white paper outlining treatment for uh, infectious keratitis following LASIK and PRK. And I think that's a great resource for uh, clinicians who want to learn more about treating infections after LASIK and PRK. Should the perioperative regimen be different for healthcare workers? Well, the, the, rate, the recommendation by the Astros Cornell Clinical Committee was to treat with cefazolin. Uh, this recommendation was made two years ago. I think with the increased incidence of MRSA, I would suggest that cefazolin is probably not the initial therapy and that for all patients presenting with infections early after LASIK or PRK, they should go immediately to vancomycin in all cases. So I don't differentiate between healthcare workers and the general population. I think that vancomycin is a treatment of choice for all these patients, but certainly it's more important for healthcare workers than anyone else. But in terms of the perioperative regimen, the, the drops that the patient gets pre-op, the drops that, that the patients plan to get post-op, do you manage healthcare workers different from non-healthcare workers? Uh, when I'm prophylaxing patients who are healthcare workers, uh, the first thing I do is I look at their lid margins, and if I see significant blepharitis, I very aggressively treat their lid margins prior to surgery. That treatment should be directed at uh, towards hot compresses to open up the blocked meibomian gland orifices and to wash away the crusting on the lid margins. And if they do have blepharitis and they are healthcare workers, I'll place them on a uh, lid hygiene uh, regimen that includes antibiotics that are effective against MRSA. And the most common one we have in general uh, in the general population is, is bacitracin. And bacitracin ointment remains a very effective antibiotic against MRSA and can be very easily purchased. Um, in patients who I know are colonized with MRSA, uh, I will treat them with muparacin ointment, which is a bacitracin analog, which is actually FDA indicated uh, to treat MRSA infections and comes as an over-the-counter ointment and what I choose to use in these patients is a gel which is used uh, in ENT for nasal carriage of MRSA, and I apply the, uh, the gel to the lid margin three times a day, even though it is not FDA indicated for this. Postoperatively, uh, I treat patients with topical fluoroquinolones, uh, just like I always do, but I treat them more aggressively. So rather than using my uh, fourth duration fluoroquinolone four times a day, uh, and healthcare workers, I'll use it eight times a day. And following, the, following LASIK and PRK, when the flap or the cornea is dehydrated under the operating microscope, I'll place the antibiotic right onto the cornea and let it be absorbed into the cornea like a sponge, 
uh, before I hydrate the cornea with BSS. Eric, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I, I think one of the take-home messages is that we need to develop new antibiotics with greater activity against gram-positive organisms. There are some new medications that are just that have just received uh, FDA approval, like uh, linezolid, L-I-N-E-Z-O-L-I-D, uh, and there's a new drug that's coming out called uh, ceftabiprol, uh, which may be effective. And I, I think we need to find ways to decrease colonization in the hospital environment and to basically institute uh, better infection control. Uh, this is going to become a more common problem over the next several years, and we have to be aware of this as, uh, as ophthalmologists. Thank you very much, Eric. Hey, Josh, it was a pleasure. It's always good to talk to you. Eric Donenfeld is a founding partner of Ophthalmic Consultants of Long Island and co-chairman of Cornea at the Nassau University Medical Center. His paper, Methicillin-Resistant Staphylococcus aureus Infectious Keratitis Following Refractive Surgery, appears in the April 2007 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Donenfeld or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the New Media Project of the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.